Support for this podcast comes from San Francisco International Airport. At SFO, you can discover award-winning flavors and unique shops all before takeoff. Learn more about what's at SFO at flysfo.com. Hi there. I'm Randa Fattah from ThruLine. If you're listening to this podcast, you know that KQED produces exceptional storytelling that keeps you informed, inspired, and entertained. Their podcasts cover issues from your neighborhood to the entire country and everything in between. Support this work today. You can help us continue to bring quality podcasts to your ears. Just head to donate.kqed.org podcast. That's donate.kqed.org podcast. From KQED. From KQED in San Francisco, I'm Alexis Madrigal. The Museum of the African Diaspora has reopened with new exhibitions from Ghanaian artist Amwako Boafo, who won Art World publication called The Art Market's Biggest Star, and Billy Zangewa, a Malawi-born, Johannesburg-based artist whose intimate silk portraits reveal everyday acts of daily feminism. We'll talk with the curators who brought them to the museum, and then we'll talk about and hear some of the fascinating new McSweeney's issue, their audio issue, which plays with the concept of translation and transformation between mediums and sensory capacities. That's coming up next, after this news. Welcome to Forum. I'm Alexis Madrigal. Last week, the Museum of the African Diaspora reopened its doors in downtown San Francisco after a long and difficult pandemic closure. Like many museums, it had to pivot to virtual programming and digital exhibitions. Perhaps that's why two of the museum's reopening artists both feature texture so prominently, paintings with bold, fingerprinted, finger-painted marks and inventive silk collages. And I want to welcome first... Elena Gross, the Director of Exhibitions and Curatorial Affairs for MOAD. Tell me about the reopening, Elena. It's got to be exciting to be back in three dimensions and with people in the galleries. Yeah, it's been it's been incredibly surreal these last uh, these last few days and last week um, after, you know, 18 months of closure and not seeing work on the walls or people um, kind of people in the space. It's been really there's been a, a huge uptick in energy, I think, in uh, in the building and in the museum. Um, and it's just, it's been very exciting to be able to share these shows, um, share these shows with everyone. Yeah. How did the museum weather the pandemic storm? Like, did you get grants from outside as you, when you didn't have visitors? Yeah, so we uh, shifted, you know, as you mentioned, we shifted pretty early on to um, online programming. And so that was kind of the public facing element of of the museum was, you know, all of our virtual programs, but then behind the scenes, the staff worked really diligently um, to to fundraise. Um, I think we spent a lot of the last year um, working on grants through IMLS Cares, um, a lot of federal grants, PPP loans, um, other foundations, and just uh, it was a really a tag team effort um, to try and uh, to try and maintain and keep keep things going yeah. um, with all this uncertainty. I mean, what did you learn about what Moad? could be you know if it didn't have that physical space you had to work in the digital what'd you learn about what it could be in there i learned that people love us and that people people want to be a part of what we're it's doing and people will show up yeah people will show up even even um even with the doors closed um time and time again we saw people from all over the bay all over the 
states all over the world um, attending all of our programs and and coming through for for the museum. Um, yeah, and it's it's a really heartening feeling, and it makes what you're doing feel meaningful in a really special way. Yeah. So tell me about the opening slate. You know, the exhibitions you've you chose to like really you know reopen the doors. This is what we want you to know about Moed. Yeah. So obviously, a lot of things shifted because of the pandemic. There were the schedule wasn't quite this schedule when we when we first uh, when we first devised it. But I think over time, seeing these two artists and seeing the work that they're that they do and um, kind of the the seeing them as being at this great precipice on the world stage, it just made a lot of sense um, to put these shows together. And I think over the last week with the opening, with the reopening, I think we've seen so many tethers between the shows um, and so many conversations that have kind of erupted from placing all of these artists and curators kind of in conversation with one another. Let's uh, let's do that here. Let's introduce your uh, guest curators. Uh, we have Larry Ose Mensa, who is the curator of the Boafo uh, exhibition, and we also have Dexter Wimberly, curator of the Billy Zangewa Thread for a Web Begun exhibition. Welcome to the show. Thanks for having us. Yeah, Thank thanks you for very joining much. Us. Absolutely. Um, Larry, let's uh, start with you. Um, obviously, Mwako Boafo is an incredibly hot artist uh, in the world right now. Uh, but what drew you to his work? Uh, I think, we, we, well, one, we were introduced by a mutual friend, and, and we had been in conversation for the last three, four years. And so I, I had the benefit of kind of watching, you know, this phase of his career um, from the genesis and watching it evolve. Mm-hmm. And I think, you know, the intimacy with which he approaches his practice with the, the, the finger works in terms of how he renders skin and hair, um, his use of color. Um, and I think, honestly, there was a vulnerability that I, I just wasn't seeing with other artists in terms mm-hmm. of how he was committed in articulating Black subjectivity, uh, Black joy, um, and, and celebrating Blackness, quite frankly. And so for me, uh, I was on a journey to kind of better understand him, his practice, um, and looking for forums to share that with a larger audience from an institutional standpoint. Um, because as you you know hinted to, a lot of the conversation around his work has really kind of been focused on the market. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, clearly he's doing well, but I mean, there's a reason why it's doing well. And then also just affording, you know, a captive audience an opportunity to see work from 2018 to 2021 um, and see the range and see how the practice has evolved um, over the last three, four years. I think it's been an exciting um, opportunity and I'm grateful to Elena and Manetta and the team at Moad. Um, And it's been a great response just to kind of see artists, you know, art enthusiasts just kind of be wild by the experience. And, and, And that's really the conversation that we wanted to catalyze through the show. Yeah. His work is so striking. I mean, one of the great stories I read about him is that he had his Instagram where he's posting his paintings and then Kahinda Wiley sees it, buys a work from his Instagram and introduces him to his art dealers. I mean, just one of those people that uh, the, the work is that striking. Um, do you remember the first? Yeah. Oh, go ahead. Go ahead. No, go ahead. Oh, I was just going to ask you if you remember the first painting of his that you that you saw and if you could just describe it for, for people and how it made you feel. Uh, the first painting I saw um, was a self-portrait that he made. He did these series of self-portraits um, where, that were really in response to um, feedback that he was getting from 
his professors about his work and he talks about, you know, giving criticism of it being too black, you know? Mm-hmm. And so in response to that, I think he kind of dug in a little bit more, but using himself as, you know, kind of the primary subject, which I think is um, very important to point out, you know, because I think it, he invites us to kind of do this self-reflection. And I think doing these series of portraits, you know, some of them he's kind of, you know, nude which is kind of interesting like these kind of male nude portraits but just really kind of dealing with self um i think was uh an inflection point for him and then i think it gave him the tools and the capacity to then shift to creating portraits and images of other people um whether they be friends whether they're people he admires um and and just to piggyback your other point i was introduced to amwako's work by kehinde as well um and so you know Kehinde is a good friend. And, uh, you know, he he saw something and what he was doing. Um, and there's just an energy and a vibration um, that I think many of us look for in a painting. And he's been able to encapsulate it um, beautifully. And, um, you know, I'm excited to see how it continues to grow and evolve. Because yeah. I think it's just, this is one stop in the journey. So let's uh, bring Dexter Wimberly. Uh, let's talk about this Billy Zangewa uh, exhibition. Uh, maybe you can, th- the technique here uh, that Zangewa uses is really beautiful. And I thought maybe you could just sort of describe how these collages are put together. Sure. So, um, you know, it's, it's one of those things where you could always say, you know, you got you to gotta see it to believe it. <laughs> um, but, you know, Billy uses uh, silk, um, to create her work, which is often described as tapestries. Um, some people call them silk collages. I like to think of them as silk paintings, even though mm. um, I'm sure I could be challenged on whether or not you could call something a painting that doesn't involve paint. <laughs> mm. um, but but nonetheless, um, it's a it's a it's a method that includes you know sewing and stitching um, pieces of fabric together to create these scenes that often depict the artist herself. Um, She is, you know, really an artist who uses her own personal life and experience um, as as a conduit to her artwork. Um, In many ways, there's there's very little separation between who Billy is as a person and the work that you see in a gallery or museum when you're Mm -hmm. you're looking at her work. Um, uh, This is an artist who um, has sort of like fully embraced that the the idea that that being a woman, being you know fairly recently uh, you know a mother, um, all these things, and being an artist, the, the, all these things are combined into one life experience. How do you relate these? I, I think column silk paintings makes a lot of sense. Like for listeners, that's really what it looks like is these amazing paintings. Uh, but instead of oil, it's it's silk patches. Um, how do how do you relate that to this sort of broader discourse of kind of craft work and quilting and sort of the 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 actual kind of remarkable potential in that things that had previously been considered kind of like w- women's rounds? Well, I mean, you know. I, Maybe I've said this before, or, or maybe I'm saying this for the first time. But um, so, if I'm saying it for the first time, you can you can sort of like coin this phrase to me. Um, all people are influenced by all things, and so in a way, um, I don't think that um, you could look at Billy's work and say that her influences are any different than uh, any other artist in terms of uh, you know seeing the world and seeing how things are made. 
whether those are paintings or, or sculpture or collage or drawings. And so she's pulling from a rich history of, of making that I think has influenced thousands of other artists. I mean, as this relates to the term you use craft, um, I know for some people um, that's a dirty word or they, they kind of get caught up in semantics about whether something is, is craft or not. I mean, Billy and I have never really talked about the word craft in the context of her work. And, and I don't think that um, in, any way, in any way you could sort of say that it's completely unrelated to craft, mm -hmm. but, um, but I think it's more connected to the idea of, of, you know, sort of like always seeing the artist's hand in the work. I mean, I think that's one of the reasons why um, her work uh, resonates with people um, so much is that, you know, it doesn't feel manufactured. Um, it, it feels very, very much like um, you can see the time and the effort and the energy and the, and the fingerprint of the artist, for lack of a better way to put it. Um, it, feels, it feels deeply personal, both in a literal and figurative way. Um, and so, um, I mean, as far as it relates to, I think you use the term like, you know, sort of like woman's work or traditional, you know, ideas around that. I mean, that's something that Billy's, you know, interested in and concerned with this idea of domesticity and the traditional, you know, sort of roles that women are expected to play, um, in the household and beyond. And I think her work, it's kind of a, um, an interesting send up on this concept. Yeah, that's what I was going to say. She's kind of toying with it, you know? Yeah, because, you know, um, the, fact that the, the fact is she was making this kind of work before she became a mother. And so um, the fact that her son um, kind of appears in a lot of her uh, more recent work would make some believe that, you know, that has always been the case. But for years, um, Billy was primarily, you know, putting herself yeah. in her work. Um, and sometimes other people, but, um, you know, anyway. Uh, yeah. Cut in real quick. We're talking about the new exhibitions at San Francisco's newly reopened Museum of the African Diaspora with Larry Osei-Mensa, Dexter Wimberly, and Elena Gross. We'll be back with more Forum after the break. Support for Forum comes from San Francisco Opera. Set 10 years after a school shooting, the critically acclaimed opera Innocence takes us into a complex emotional journey where our understanding of innocence and guilt is constantly upended. Kaya Sariajo's ethereal score collapses the past into the present as a community of survivors grapple with how to move forward. Don't miss the highly anticipated American premiere of Innocence, June 1st through 21st. Learn more at sfopera.com. Welcome back to Forum. I'm Alexis Madrigal. We're talking about the new exhibitions at San Francisco's newly reopened Museum of the African Diaspora with Larry Osei-Mensa, curator of the Amwako Boafo Soul of Black Folks exhibition, and Dexter Wimberly, curator of the Billy Zangewa Thread for a Web Begun exhibition, as well as director of exhibitions and curatorial affairs for MOAD, Elena Gross. You know, before the break, Dexter, we were talking about the ways that Zangewa kind of sends up um, some of these domestic scenes, as well as just sort of the expectations of, of women generally. And I wanted you to talk a little bit about uh, the painting Afternoon Delight. Well, if, uh, if, if, um, if, I, if I'm uh, remembering exactly the work you're referring to, um, this, is the, uh, this is the male um, yeah. image. Yeah. Yep. Well, here, here's the thing about Billy's work that I think it's always important to, to point out is that um, uh, 
you know, she's showing you things that have occurred um, more often than not. These are, you know, works that are documenting life and, and sort of the, 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 the romances and the, the, the sometimes mundane daily things that happen. And so um, I, I'm careful to not try to speak um, for the artist, but I can only speak um, from the standpoint of my experience with the artist. And um, that work, which I think is a triumphant yeah. example of her skill um, as an artist, also, I'm sure has an incredibly rich backstory that I have not been made privy to, um, which is also fine too. You don't need to know everything. <laughs> <laughs> exactly. I think, I mean, if it's a, it's a kind of a wonderful nude, basically a male nude with sort of a bottle of wine in the background. Um, and it's just, a, it's a very like striking, powerful piece. Um, yeah, yeah. And to, and to be honest with you, you know, when it comes to nudity, uh, which is something that actually you, you see um, um, in, in Billy's work um, pretty frequently, um, you know, that, that is as much a part of life as, as anything else. Yeah. And I think uh, what's, what's always interesting to me is that, you know, even in 2021, you know, with literally thousands of years behind us in terms of art history, nudity can still be a point of contention um, or, <laughs> or an eyebrow raiser. Um, but I think that when Billy incorporates it into her work, it, it feels real and not gratuitous. And I think that that's why it 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 works. You know, mm -hmm. it just it just really works. It feels natural and it feels real. Want to uh, invite our listeners into the conversation? Do you have questions for our guests about the artists and exhibitions, or about the museum's reopening? Give us a call now eight six six seven three three six seven eight six. That's eight six six seven three three six seven eight six. You can get in touch. On Twitter and Facebook, we're at KQED Forum, or you can email your questions to forum at kqed.org. Elena Gross, Director of Exhibitions and Curatorial Affairs for MOAD, I want you to talk about how you think about bringing exhibitions together and what you think it illuminates to have these kind of shows next to each other. I think we try to approach, um, or at least I, I try to think about exhibition programming um, through the lens, um, through a wider lens of the diaspora. I think there's a real importance here at MOAD um, in investing in, obviously through our Emerging Artists Program, investing in uh, local Bay Area-based artists. But I think we also wanna make sure that, um, especially in this new phase of MOAD, that we're expanding our reach and we're looking at um, all of these other areas where uh, artists of African descent are making and where, um, these these art practices are happening all over the globe. So definitely, uh, as you're seeing kind of with this season of shows, um, artists from the continent, but then al also artists from South America, artists from Europe, artists who are working in Australia, artists who are working um, in in farther reaches of, of, of the United States and the Caribbean. And uh, we did a show with Dexter and Larry that focused on artists of Caribbean descent. So I think uh, the way we kind of think about it is how do we bring all of those conversations together into um, a loose thematic? I don't think they have to necessarily be tied um, to, to, a, to a hard and fast theme, but how do we bring all of these perspectives together um, throughout in, in these conversations together in one place at one time um, to kind of give you that sense of the expansiveness of, of uh, artists of African descent and of, uh, of the diaspora. Yeah. Larry, I, I want you to talk a little bit about if you think 2020 and all the things at least that happened, you know, in the United States, but protests really across the world, how you feel like that 
filtered into and was transformed by uh, artists of African descent across the diaspora? Um, I, I think it definitely was an inflection point um, in terms of how artists, I think, got a better grasp and understanding of their power and their platform, mm. particularly amplified by tools like social media, uh, but then also just really kind of being in the streets. And I think last year, you know, I think a lot of people kind of had to kind of think through what are the tools at my disposal that allow my voice to be heard, um, allow me to articulate my concerns about issues um, around uh, systematic uh, discrimination, police violence. Um, and I think also it put a lot of institutions on notice in terms of, you know, if you're an institution that isn't centering or at least incorporating the voices of artists from the African diaspora, then you are uh, out of the loop, so to speak. Um, and I think you saw what I think is the beginning of a reckoning um, across the board. So whether it was corporate America, whether it was in the arts. And so for me, it's, it's, it's an exciting time as someone who has been committed to collaborating and creating a forum for artists of color for over a decade and, and Dexter as well, um, to see the mainstream kind of come, come up, get to speed, get up to speed. Yeah. And so I think now, I think what's important is that artists from the diaspora that we show the spectrum of artistic practice, right? And I think what a lot of, a lot of work that's been kind of celebrated and, and, and centered has kind of been more this figurative work portraiture hmm. um and so for me it's important we look at the diversity of strategies that artists use so whether it's figurative abstraction cinema uh music dance performance um and making sure that a lot of what last year catalyzed becomes a behavior and not a trend not uh, a response for the moment but a new way to think and engage and express um, using art as a, a platform and a tool. Yeah. Wanted to welcome in caller Lolly from San Francisco. Welcome to the show, Lolly. Thank you. Good morning. Good morning. Um, I just wanted to make a comment about um, the importance of quilting arts and textile arts because Absolutely. I heard your comment about crafts. Um, and I think it's time for the. Uh, the grandma calico patch trope to be put to rest. Um, and I'd like to point out that the Boston Fine Arts Museum just opened an exhibit of 50 important quilts that go back hundreds of years. They include two priceless quilts by Harriet Powers, who was born in 1837 into slavery and is known as the mother of the African-American picture quilt tradition. It also includes a contemporary quilt by Bisa Butler, who is making a big statement in the quilting world as well with her beautiful, beautiful portraits of African-American people. So, um, I'm with you, Lolly. I, 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 I must have uh, miscommunicated. I, I, I love quilt art, and we've seen a lot of it, actually, uh, here in the Bay Area. 
um, at OMC, the Oakland Museum of California. Um, and I, I was actually trying to reference exactly that, that emerging uh, understanding that quilt, exactly as you put it perfectly, um, that these these are art. They're, they're not sort of adjacent to or, or less than. Um, th- thank you so much for that call, Ali. I really appreciate that. Yeah. Oh, go ahead. Sure. Um, I think that's kind of what I was getting at in terms of like expanding um, how we think about uh, artists from the diaspora using various strategies to articulate and express themselves. So I think, you know, with quilting or whatever kind of strategies that may include fabric and fiber kind of coming to the fore, making sure that we're celebrating it, which obviously you're acknowledging um, on the level of a painting that's using paint or whatever materials, um, because, you know, the diaspora has a variety of ways of telling our stories. Cause I think that's also the other thing um, that's important to point out is that Amwako, in addition to Billy, are using their their facilities as makers and creators to tell stories, tell Black stories, whether they be personal or stories of folks in their communities or folks that, you know, they feel are really kind of pushing uh, the envelope. Absolutely. We've been talking about the new exhibitions at San Francisco's newly reopened Museum of the African Diaspora with Dexter Wimberly, curator of the Billy Zangewa Thread for a Web Begun exhibition, Elena Gross, director of exhibitions and curatorial affairs for MOAD, Larry Osai Mensa, curator of the Amwako Boafo Soul of Black Folks exhibition. Thanks for joining us. Stay with us. More forum after a short break. Support for Forum comes from San Francisco Opera. Set 10 years after a school shooting, the critically acclaimed opera Innocence takes us into a complex emotional journey where our understanding of innocence and guilt is constantly upended. Kaya Sariajo's ethereal score collapses the past into the present as a community of survivors grapple with how to move forward. Don't miss the highly anticipated American premiere of Innocence, June 1st through 21st. Learn more at sfopera.com. We've all got those parts of our house where the internet just won't go. Well, if you had wall-to-wall Wi-Fi from Xfinity, you could worry less about dead spots. Because with wall-to-wall Wi-Fi from Xfinity, you get fast speeds, reliable connection in every room, and power for all of your devices, even when everyone's online. That's wall-to-wall Wi-Fi only with Xfinity. Restrictions apply. Not available in all areas. Actual speeds vary. All over the country, we need to improve reading in Wisconsin. Schools are changing the way they teach reading. I'm calling for a renewed focus on literacy. We have gotten this wrong in New York and all across the nation. And it's happening because of a podcast. I think your podcast has changed my life. And I'm going to share this podcast with everyone I meet. Sold a Story investigates how teaching kids to read went wrong. New episodes of Sold a Story are available now.